Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post pod, Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Artificials for Carolina Beach and Wrightsville Beach Speckled Trout. I'm going to be talking with Captain Luke Moser of Coastline Charters, operating out of the Wrightsville and Carolina Beach areas. We're going to be covering such areas as habitat. We're going to be talking about conditions, as in weather and tide. We're going to be talking about tackle and techniques. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. In this endeavor, I am joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hello, Billy. Let's make a podcast. Yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I got to change this up a little bit. I got to make it a little shocker for all the people who've been listening and watching for a long time. We appreciate it. Um, always good time here on the Fisherman's Post podcast, and I'm really excited for our guest tonight. He's a, he's a good time. So, you guys uh, better keep it PG, Gary. I don't want to have to edit a bunch of bleeps and stuff. You guys get too All wild. Right. So anyway, we'll get this thing kicked off by shouting out our sponsors. Uh, first up, we got SRD20. So go to srd20.com. Uh, they sent us over some waterless um, wash and wax there. Also some uh, graphene spray protectant for your boat. So if you are looking for some new chemicals to clean your boat with, be sure to go check out srd20.com. Uh, they make it easy, Gary. They make it easy. I could have used, um, I need to get that product in hand. I could have used, I pulled the boat out the other day just to sort of, even though the bottom's painted, you know, you just have to pull it out a couple times, knock the barnacles off the bottom, some barnacles. And as I was pulling it out of the boat ramp, I was thinking, man, I wish I had that waterless, you know, wash and wax just to hit the scum line, just to sort of hit the outside of the hull, if nothing else. I mean, it, it serves more purpose than that, but that would have been a perfect opportunity you know, pulled off on the side of the boat ramp, no hose around, and just hit that while it's fresh, while it's wet, and not only clean it, but protect it at the same time, man. Smart thinking, smart product. Yeah, man, uh, I actually got a box of it over here for you and some other stuff. I'll, I'll bring you across the road so you can have it. <laughs> come, come and show me how to do it. If you would, wouldn't mind showing me how to waterless tutorial. wash and wax. If you show me a few times, I'm sure I'll pick it up. Yeah, man, that's that's part of that's our part of my uh, sponsorship agreement with SRD for us. Like, I'll I'll give free tutorials, <laughs> like spray and wipe. Right? Is that what it is? I'll film. I'll film while you clean my boat. How about that? Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, Gary. How many times do you need that done? How many times? Multiple times as a week. As many as you're willing to do, man. As when <laughs> as many as you'll do. You get three healthy young boys. They can get out there and do it. Right? They charge too much. I bet. If they're like Kids their today. dad. If they're like their dad, they charge way. They're overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright and then we got Marine Warehouse Center longtime sponsor of the show got a little message from them and then we'll come back and figure out where in the world Emmett is 
At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. Boom, there you go. There they are. Again. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been talking about different things and, you know, taking care of the trailer. Um, I mentioned that in, you know, well, uh, in a future podcast, I guess, but uh, taking care of the trailer is important, everyone. Like as you head into the winter months, many of you pull your boat out of the water or store it. Why not get that trailer tuned up as well? For me, you know, I always get it tuned up prior to any kind of, you know, hurricane season. And certainly with the recent weather events, you know, as I talk about in another podcast, man, it just makes sense to have a trailer ready to go in case you need to pull, in case the category builds, in case the the cone of uncertainty, you know, locks more in on us, all that stuff, man. You wanna have <clears throat> you wanna have a trailer. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, man. I don't know anything about needing a trailer for a boat. I need a boat. So if you're like me and you need a boat, go buy a boat from those guys as well. And uh and you'll probably see Emmett there. But he's been making his rounds. Not only will you see him doing some local TV spots like the one we just played, uh, but Gary, he's been making some guest appearances on some really big TV shows here lately. And oh, okay. I'm going to give you the opportunity to guess which TV show that is. It's um, It happens after your bedtime, and it's one of the biggest shows on NBC. Oh, I don't know my networks, but if it... Happens after I go to bed. I mean, I'm just going to guess it's a late night talk show. I mean, I'm going to guess that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's okay. So you want to take a guess at the the host of which one? Um, I don't know that I know any names oh. of the hosts. Uh, You're not going to appeal to our younger crowd. You're not going to appeal to our younger crowd. Jimmy Fallon, ladies and gentlemen. There's Emmett on the Jimmy Fallon show. <laughs> I like Jimmy Fallon a lot. Look at him. And that may um, I like may, Jimmy Fallon too. And that may, Gary, or may not be the body of Donald Trump. I'm not going to disclose that information, but uh, I was gonna say that red, <laughs> white, and blue is looking pretty political to me. Pretty political. Yeah, you know, what gave it away like the American flag pin? <laughs> <laughs> well, good oh, for him, right. man. I'm glad he's yeah. getting on some late night talk shows. I'm sure it's not as good as the exposure we're giving him, but you know, no. I bet Fallon helps a little bit. Yeah, Fallon, just a little bit. Old James over there. James does a good job, but nothing like the Fisherman's Buzz podcast. And if you want to be a sponsor of the Fisherman's Buzz podcast and get as much exposure, probably not as much as Emmett because he just uh, keeps us on our toes. And he makes us do these spots, actually. We, we didn't come up with this. He, he came up with it and made us do it. <laughs> part of the sponsorship <laughs> give us a call uh, also i will uh show you a fish picture real quick and then we'll talk cool. about some fishing stuff other stuff okay here we go curtis pelt from rocky mountain north carolina with two speckled trout 21 inches caught in the noosa river on a yozuri twitch bait gary what do you think over or under 21 or do you think it's on the money what's your guess um i'm gonna get i'm gonna give them tw is that 21 yeah, total both fish Right. And you can manipulate photos to make the fish look a lot bigger. And if you don't manipulate the photo, then they don't look bigger. They might look. I'm going to I'm going to give them the shadow of the doubt. You, you see a lot. You see thousands of thousands of photos with Fisherman's Post. 
we need to do a fo- we need to do a photo show of how to properly do it. We'll do a segment or something of how to properly take a fish photo for the Fisherman's Post to greater your odds of being a part of the publication. That'd be a good that'd okay. be a good segment, Gary. I think people need right. to know. We can do that. I can I have some thoughts. Just, just hold it here. <laughs> I have some thoughts. <laughs> All right, man. In uh weekly fisher reports, I'll I'll pass it over to you. Well, yeah, I'm, with this podcast coming out in October, we're actually getting ready to wrap up our weekly session of the year. These weekly fishing reports as advertised are from April through October, um, but we still certainly keep busy year round. And so and we pull back to bi-weekly fishing reports, but we're also going to include some live show appearances. We're going to have some of our captains on answering questions in real time. You text in your questions, you call in your questions, email in your questions. So if you've wished that you could be sitting in this chair and ask better questions than I do, then our members, got to be a member, still got to be signed up for the weekly report, are going to be enjoying live shows throughout the winter. And then, you know, our bread and butter, though, is April through October, weekly fishing reports, 11 of the top guides from up and down the North Carolina coast. More information at fishermanspost.com. Click on member content. Boom. Man, you do such a good job, Gary, especially when I just throw that at you unexpectedly. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited because Luke is actually a part of that. shows up diligently every week and gives us a great report. So I know this podcast can be awesome. I'm excited for you guys to get started. It's going to be awesome. Luke's going to be aw- I mean, I want to over-promise. I want to build up expectations for Luke Moser just so he, because he's going to deliver perhaps the best podcast we've ever done. We might, we might even just be done with the show. We might even just be like, this is it. This is the finale. Pinnacle. We've Done. pinnacled. This we is it. Get Apex. Up. We can't even do any more because he's the, uh... the podcast is now owned by Luke. Luke Moser now owns the <laughs> podcast. He'll be taking over the reins. He's now the commissioner. All right. <laughs> well, it is my pleasure. Yes. to oh, Welcome to the show. Longtime friend, longtime contributor in so many ways. I'm talking about Captain Luke Moser, Coastline Charters. And I didn't even check with him. I just said operating out of the Riceville and the Carolina Beach area. Is that is that an accurate description, Luke? Is that how you self-describe out of Wrightsville and Carolina Beach? Yeah, definitely, man. Um, I would say so. Um, I'm kind of right smack dab in the middle of both of them, so I would say that's plenty sufficient. All right. Artificials, and that's why we had Carolina Beach and Wrightsville Beach, speckled trout, and people love to hear about speckled trout. I'm interested in talking about speckled trout, especially because I think trout get some love to the south of us, Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach, and Trout get plenty of love to the north of us, Swansboro, Sneeds Ferry, but not so much here, even Topsail, so not so much here. So I'm looking forward to bringing our local trout into the limelight. But even with that want, we still have a process, and the process is two questions. You tell me you're ready for question number one. I'll give you question number one. Let's do it. Question number one, Captain Luke Moser. And it's very predictable. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a speckled trout, Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach boy? Um, well, to be honest with you, Gary, I thought we were talking about, you know, brim fishing with, you know, brim busters and rooster tails. So I, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would listen to me. Um, you know, I had my fly gear tied up, you know, to go fish lily pads. But um, no, man, I, you know, I, I don't know that I possess any sort of, you know, crazy trout knowledge, um, other than just the, the time on the water. Um, you know, growing up, we didn't, 
me and my dad didn't do a, a ton of trout fishing. You know, most of ours was geared towards, um, you know, flounder and sheep's head. So certainly over the years of the flounder fishery, changing the way it's been, man, I've really, um, you know, picked up a, I would say probably a, a borderline obsession with it. Um, you know, that's it, man. Just, just spending the time on the water, man. I've had some, you know, really good success over the years, trout fishing, um, you know, and not really branching too far out other than, um, you know, right sort of Carolina, um, and down to the Cape Fear river. Um, you know, so that, that would be it, man. I, I would just say just from, you know, the experience I have, um, and you know, the, the productivity that I have out of this area, um, you know, I certainly feel like I can help, you know, contribute that information to, to people who are, are struggling because it can be, um, you know, somewhat tricky to fish, you know, it's not quite the same as, you know, fishing up in the new river or Swansboro or somewhere like that, you know, where these guys have these, you know, big estuaries that are just, you know, chock full of big trout, you know, you do have to search a little bit more here. And I, you know, feel like I've put the time in to kind of get that dialed in a little bit. All right. Definitely a passable answer to question number one. Question number two, as you know, returning guests to the podcast is a non-fishing related question. Are you ready for your non-fishing related question? I think so. All right. Artificials are fake baits, fake baits. Your questions have to do with fake boobs, or I'm going to ask you about fake boobs. All right. Question number one, do fake boobs sink or float? Hey, honey. Well, uh, Gary, I don't know. I would assume they would float, but I don't know. Well, the internet tells me and the internet knows all that saline and silicone filling has a density similar to water. So they neither sink nor float, which is why it's kind of a trick question. So I have question number two for you. What state has the most boob jobs per capita? Which state? Mm. How many can I pick? Surely I get to have Two. a couple of guests. Two? Two. Oh, man. Let's go with... Uh, let's go with California and, I don't know, Vegas. Well, that's not... I would say I like your, I like your choices, but apparently Utah... I mean, and I don't know about quant. I mean, again, per capita, so maybe not total number, but per capita, more women in Utah than percentage-wise than women in Vegas or California. And then finally, what is the most common size breast implant? Are we frozen? uh let's go with a d pervert it's a c cup all right let's talk trout let's talk <laughs> artificials for trout in the carolina beach and riceville beach area very intuitive we're going to talk about habitats so let's talk about where people should start to look for these fall trout in the riceville beach and carolina beach area sure um you know man it's not it's not all that different from, um, you know, reds, um, the typically, you know, when I go out, um, you know, especially, you know, certainly this time of year, um, it can be, you know, a little bit finicky. They're kind of getting in the fall pattern. You, you know, you still have some cellularly wind that, you know, kind of keeps the fish in limbo land, but it's not all that much different from, you know, fishing for redfish. Um, 
you know, except for maybe the, the water depth. Um, you know, I, I've certainly catch trout, you know, in all depths of water, but, you know, going into the fall, uh, at least here on Riceville beach, you know, I'm fishing, um, a lot of like three to, to eight foot, um, I would say on average, uh, you know, a lot of the places I'm looking for, you know, creeks along the ICW, uh, they're not all this way, but a lot of them have, you know, what I would consider a trough where, you know, if you go in on one side of the creek or the other, um, you know, if you hug the grass bank and just off of it, a lot of times there's a, you know, a deeper cut in these creeks. And those are typically, you know, the places that I try to look for, um, you know, they somewhat channel bait um, through those areas because, you know, typically towards the middle part of the creek, um, it's going to be it's going to be significantly shallower and up close to the grass is going to be deep. So it somewhat makes a funnel, you know, for for the bait, you know, to come through. Uh, so, you know, I'm trying to ride around and look for these areas, you know, if I can have them, that, you know, that's not to say that's the gospel. Um, but that's a very key factor in, in locating trout, at least for me in this area. Um, you know, the second thing I'm going to be looking for is, you know, the, the topography of the, of the bank itself, if you will. You know, I like banks that have a lot of points, pockets, um, you know, a lot of grass points, uh, at least at Riceville Beach and Carolina Beach, I associate with, with oysters, uh, you know, which is certainly, you know, like I said, very similar to, to drum. You know, those are places where you're going to find those reds mix, which is also, you know, where you're going to have a, a pretty, pretty big congregation of trout, you know, as it moves into the fall. You know, you've got that that deep cut so it's already an ambush point if you will and then you've got those points those oyster bars you know where those shrimp and other you know bait fish are going to congregate on and you know that's that's where those trout are going to be you know laying around so those are the those are the quickest easiest you know places to me that i like to look for um, and now that's certainly not something you can just see riding you know riding down the waterway you know you can certainly see the points and pockets but to actually go in the creek and you know find these troughs um, you know, it's, it's something you, you actually have to go in there and do it. Um, now again, that's not the gospel, but, um, typically any, any kind of grass bank, you know, if, even if it doesn't have, you know, those troughs on them, you know, I still want some kind of, some kind of change, um, you know, on the grass line, whether it be, you know, a ledge or oysters, any, any kind of points, um, you know, I like to look for some, some kind of structure there. Um, you know, even though it's not maybe a, visibly to your eye other than just just the point but um you know some some kind of you know vegetation change whatever it may be is typically what i'm looking for um you know and i guess to to come off of that um you know coming back to you know fishing just the creeks along the icw you know you don't even have to be yeah i think there's a lot of people that have this you know misconception that you have to be in the mouth of the creek you know everybody does preach creek mouth creek mouth creek mouth um, you know, when you first come into these places, you know, you may not have any of that, any of the, you know, the points or the troughs or whatever, but if you keep pushing on back up the Creek, um, you know, a lot of times that's where you're going to find a lot of fish. It's not so much just directly in the mouth of the Creek. You know, if you go up and down the waterway in the fall of the year, everybody's sitting in the mouth. Well, you never see anybody push back up in there. Um, and you know, that's certainly, especially as your tide comes in, man, that's, that's where your bait, your shrimp, you know, any of that stuff is going to go. Um, so that's one thing I like to try to, you know, encourage people is don't just, don't just stop at the creek mouth and fish it for 10 minutes and say, well, there's nothing here. Um, you know, even, even on the fallen, you know, the tide falling out of the creek, you know, people still like to fish the fallen, you know, the fallen part, you know, right at the mouth, you know, well, 
I would certainly do that on a, you know, lower, lower water. But, um, you know, if you keep on pushing back, man, you're just going to continue to follow that bait. Uh, you know, so I, I just like to try to do a little bit of that, both not just fishing directly in the Creek mouse, if any of that makes sense. No, man, I, I follow all that. I think it all made sense. And so just to be clear for our listeners, viewers, like it's not that you don't fish the river, but your most of your trout efforts are ICW or creeks, creek mouths, creeks off the ICW in between that Carolina Beach and Wrightsville Beach area or, you know, or to the north of Wrightsville Definitely. Beach and beyond. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was part of what engagement, you know, engaged me about this podcast is focusing on that area instead of, say, something like the river or some of the more traditional trout habitats. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I would say. I would say 98% of my, my trout fishery is, um, you know, around Wrightsville in Carolina. Um, you know, I'll go in the river some just as something extra to do. Um, but most of it's just, just fully right there directly in the waterway, um, in this area. Um, you know, and I guess we can kind of roll in to, you know, that, that's kind of the basic thing as far as, you know, the first start of fall, you know, now as you, as you get later into the year, man, I'll start to look at some of the structures, you know, there will be trout that'll get on these deeper ledges um, that are associated with docks. Um, and again, that's, that's more towards the, you know, the cooler months. Um, but that's another thing to look for. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, in a creek or back in the bays, you know, these fish will feed directly along, you know, the waterway where you don't, you know, typically see people trout fishing. And it's kind of the same thing, you know, I'm looking for some sort of, you know, topography change, whether it's, you know, a ledge that falls straight off the bank, you know, a shelly bottom. Um, and again, some of the docks have this very similar setup. You know, a lot of these docks have lights on them. Um, you know, if you can find the ones that have, you know, deep water out on front on those ledges with those lights, you know, it creates a, a great ambush point, um, you know, for those trouts. I mean, that's always a, you know, something I like to look for, especially as you start going into the cooler months. But um, you know, that's the, the most generic stuff. I, you know, just, just getting into it to look for, man, you can make it as complicated as you want, but you know, you start fishing those type of areas, um, you know, some of the baits and techniques techniques we'll get into, man, you're, you're going to produce fish. All right. So as far as transition from habitat more to conditions, so, you know, this podcast will be released mid October and, you know, we start talking about falling into the fall pattern. Every year is different, of course, but in general terms, when do you start getting more confident that, say, on a charter, you know, not just Luke Moser going out and looking for fish, but the fish are there enough to where you have reasonable confidence you can take a group of anglers of different ability out and actually put some trout in the boat? When 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 are conditions right around here, Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach? Okay. Um, you know, that's actually a good question. You know, certainly you know, starting into September, early October, you know, you kind of get in that iffy stage where, you know, I don't know that I would fully commit to taking, you know, a full charter there unless it was somebody I knew that could fish. You know, it, it is a little bit early. You know, we've, we've had some great days already, but um, usually about the, the middle part of October, man, is, you know, it's just jamming. Uh, it's certainly, you know, changes with every year, you know, and a lot of that's based on how much, you know, north wind we get to cool this water down and actually, you know, get a, a good pit push of migratory fish. Um, but even if you don't, you know, if the wind comes later and it's not quite cooled off, even still around that middle point of October, um, you know, you're going to get your residential fish that have, you know, been here all throughout the summer that just aren't feeding, you know, those fish are going to become active. 
Um, so even if you don't have, you know, what I would consider like jam up trout fishing with your, you know, high migratory fish, you're still going to have the residential fish that start to pick up. And that's all around, like I said, you know, mid October, um, even, even taken out, you know, every year's different. Um, you know, it's still, still cool enough at some point to get some of those residential fish fired up, but, um, definitely, man, as far as, as far as being on, on and having all the faith in the world to take somebody out, um, you know, and, and feel confident about catching fish. Um, you know, I'd say right in the middle, middle of October, um, and well on through, you know, till up until December, uh, is, is definitely, definitely the best time, I think. If that answers so, your question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I know that anglers will spend a lifetime trying to understand a trout, you know, and, mm -hmm. and get closer and closer, but never get there. And as you're talking, it just made me realize again, like just trying to understand trout. So, in this com in the conversation we just had, so there's resident trout in this area year round, but those resident trout will get more active as the water gets colder. And then I think mm -hmm. you said we also have migratory trout coming through because that's what I was trying to understand. So is it is that it? It's like the water is colder, so the resident trout are less sluggish? Or what is it about the colder water that turns the resident trout on and you know, as far as migrating trout, is that north to south or is, are they just on mm -hmm. the move? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely north to south, um, you know, but yes, we do have resident trout that, you know, will stay here throughout the year, especially through the whole summer. Um, you know, and I certainly think they're, you know, a little bit sluggish. You know, you, you do hear guys going out and to, you know, throw topwater and stuff for them at night. Um, and that's a that's a whole nother deal on its own. But um Yes, they're they're certainly still here. They just they're just not nearly as active. They get really sluggish in the summer. Um, you know, a lot of them I associate with being you know male trout or or big females that you know are just just sluggish with the heat. So, yes, you know when you start getting those those cool fronts, you know those fish are going to become active. Um, you know, and last year we had a at least for me, you know, it wasn't the the most jam up trout year I've ever had, and just to you know put it into a uh, perspective for you talking about migrating fish um you know that is certainly certainly something that plays a role in it um i've got some friends that are up in the chesapeake bay and you know we typically go up there every year for vacation and i was talking to those guys just to see how their fishery was and this was well into october really in november when typically their fishery has slowed down a, you know a substantial amount as far as the trout goes you know because those fish are making a push you know leaving the bay and coming down south and you know they stayed catching fish way later than normal just because you know the the water temperature was so high um and i think there's some other people that could you know agree they didn't have the best you know the best trout year just because we didn't get that push of fish they stayed up north longer um so that that to me is what what really drives you know the trout fishery is is the fall wind and, and water temperature change all right so to continue the conversation about conditions and yeah, man, I, I certainly understood the habitat conversation fully, you know, grass lines, deeper water, deeper, you know, lines with points, with pockets, um, grass lines with, you know, oysters, you know, mm -hmm. creating rips, points creating rips, and not just sticking near the mouth, but moving farther up the creek and find other areas, not just where the creek will empty into the ICW. And so talk to me, I guess, first about Tide, about how how tide might affect, you know, how you, where you fish or how, I mean, 
I'm not sure how to set you up on that, but I know you were going to yeah, talk no, about how conditions affect your plan. Definitely. You, and you, you somewhat just touched on it just then, Gary, you know, talking about rips, um, you know, to me, I associate the, the huge portion of trout fishing with moving water. Um, so tide plays a tremendous role in it, especially, you know, in, in trout season, you know, winter trout fishing is a, is a hair different, um, you know, and I'm not necessarily going to harp on that, but, um, 100%, man, if I don't have, you know, typically if there's not moving water, I'm not catching fish. Um, so, you know, I, you know, the ideal setup to me, you know, in a morning would be, you know, certainly where, you know, you get out of there sun up and you've got, you know, let's say high tide at nine o'clock, you know, that gives you plenty of time to fish the clean water coming in and then plenty of time to fish, you know, the, the fallen tide going out, you know, in other words, so you've got, you've got good water all day. Um, obviously that doesn't work out every weekend or every day for, you know, the people who don't get to get out often, um, you know, so I don't, I haven't found that, you know, one tide is, is better than the other. You know, I don't associate trout with, with water clarity, at least for me, I don't have any issues with them biting in muddy water. So, you know, to me, the, the main thing is just, just the moving water. Now, certainly at the, the top of the tide and the bottom of the tide is going to be slower. Um, and, you know, the transition period to turn around, you know, you certainly have a lag. Um, you know, so to me, the, the worst tide to fish is, you know, right at high, and this is just me, you know, somebody else might hear this, well, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's fine. This is just from my experience. The top of the tide is is pretty poor. And then he, so even sometimes, man, it takes an hour, two hours into the, the tide changing um, to get the water flowing, you know, to the, to the right amount to get the fish to feed. But, you know, with that being said, it doesn't matter how, you know, high tide, low tide, you know, when I'm fishing these areas, um, you know, I'm looking for, you know, for that quicker moving water along those grass lines, man, when you, you get those rips that, you know, that come through those points, those little transition areas from points to pockets, um, you know, that's typically where those fish are going to be. And I always like to throw, you know, on the upstream side of it. And I, I'll get into that with some of the lures, but, um, you know, that, and then letting it come down through the current, you know, that that's the main thing is, uh, and, and again, I'll kind of harp on this when we get into some of the lures and tactics, but, you know, using, using the tide to your advantage, you know, to actually let your bait work. So that's, that's the main thing I'm looking for. Again, it's not so much high tide, low tide as it is just, just good, good flowing water. Um, another question about conditions and yes, I followed all that. Um, another question about conditions. So is it, romantic to think that snotty nasty weather equates to good trout fishing mm -hmm. or is mm -hmm. that legit i will put my boat in in the rain to go trout fish 100 percent um you know it's like anything man the the fish cannot bite but some of my some of my best days trout fishing have been on you know not i'm not not wind you know i don't necessarily love to trout fish you know in heavy wind not that they won't bite but you know, you're typically throwing, you know, light lures, so it can be a little bit tough, but, um, the rainier and gray, cold, whatever, man, that's by far some of the best fishing, um, I've ever had, um, you know, trout fishing. So I will, you know, even on, even on charters, you know, if, if the weather's poor and they're like, yeah, I don't know, man, you know, I'm always like, you know, please, you know, let's, let's go, you know, you're going to have an increasingly better chance and the, and you have, you know, another opportunity that, you know, we'll get into, you know, you can, you can use different tactics that you wouldn't normally be able to do, you know, midday 
on a sunny day, you know, you can keep going, you know, top water all day long when it's cloudy and have, you know, great success. So definitely, man, I, I love fishing, fishing in poor weather for sure. Um, well, I knew that a conversation it. about tide would lead itself to, you know, technique and, you know, how a tide might affect it. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll ride that into sort of the next part. And we have tackles, so we have lures. I mean, I'm sure you're going to tell me about tying them on and all that, but let's, uh, you take it over, man. Let's talk about what you like to tie on the end and we can isolate that and then talk about techniques or you can talk about a couple of types of lures and their technique and then talk about a couple more lures and techniques. I'll let, I'll let you sort of guide how this podcast goes. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, you know, one, one thing I've gotten to where I enjoy quite a bit, um, you know, and especially as a way of, of locating fish, if I haven't, you know, if I'm getting tired of what I'm doing or, you know, the fish I've been fishing are kind of slowed up or, you know, somebody came in there with a gill net or something, whatever. Um, you know, and this is a great tool for somebody just trying to figure trout out, um, or at least just locate them, you know, cause you can spend a lot of time, you know, trying to locate fish. And if you're throwing, you know, something they don't want, you know, they're just not gonna, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna bite for you. So, and again, this can certainly happen with this, but I, I've gotten to where I really enjoy, um, trolling for trout, man, it's something I used to do a long time ago and I've kind of gotten back into it. Um, I'll troll a variety of different, you know, baits, but the, the main one that stands out tried and true to me is, um, oh shoot, the MR 51s, the, it do, it's the stupidest look to me is the dumbest looking bait. Um, it has no like good presentation really, but for whatever reason, man, trolling them, um, you know, and I, it doesn't necessarily matter what, what color. I mean, I kind of stay with the, the standard mirror lure color, just that kind of goldish red, um, but trolling those lures around, you know, grass banks or, you know, ledges, drop-offs, anything like that is a fantastic way to locate fish, man. Um, I've spent a lot of time, um, like I said, trolling different lures, but th- that one for whatever reason just works. Um, and it doesn't have, like I said, it has very little action in the water. It doesn't look like it would catch fish to me, but it, but it does. So that that's something that I would, you know, stress to people is a, is a great way to do that. Now, typically what I'll, you know, do is I'll get in there and I'm trolling as slow as I can possibly go. Um, you know, to, a lot of times maybe just going with the tide, um, you know, maybe a hair more, usually around a mile, mile and a half. If I can, if I can get it to go that slow, you know, just to keep the bait up. Um, and again, you know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, man. I'll throw out two rods and just, just cruise down the grass bank. Uh, and it, it's really, really done well. And it's helped me to be able to locate a lot of fish that, you know, was an area I might not typically, typically go to, you know, you can pull up to a bank and fish it for five minutes. So well, there's no fish here, you know, because you don't have the confidence in it. I'm guilty of that. You know, if I don't go and catch fish right away, you know, like, well, there's no fish here. Well, you know, you can spend, you know, five, 10 minutes trolling those mirror lures back and forth and, and cover the whole entire bank. And, you know, you can leave from there saying that, well, they weren't here or, you know, well, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Um, so that, that's the one thing that I really like to do, man. That's, that's just the first lure I was going to talk about. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, how many people have taken the time to troll, man, but I, I would highly recommend it. I, I can't harp on it enough as far as just locating fish. All right. I'm in, I'm intrigued. I didn't know we were going to talk about trolling for trout. I'm glad you, we did. So MR 51 and you're saying go as slow as you can go. And that 
again is with the tide so you're never trolling against current you try to go with the current or you'll you'll go back and forth and try both directions uh, absolutely i'll go back and forth um you know typically going with the tide you have to speed up a little bit just because it'll end up you know catching the back of your boat and pushing you kind of funky um but really i, I want to keep it around you know under two miles an hour for sure um i've found that I, I typically catch or get more bites going with the tide um but i'm certainly not going to you know go down and then turn around and come all the way back up you know in this area we don't have necessarily the all the grass lines to do that versus like if you get down into the Cape Fear River or somewhere else um, where you have, you know, these long runs of, you know, creeks and grass. Um, so I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll go down, you know, run the, run the stretch of bank I want to, and then, you know, turn around and go back. You know, sometimes I'll do that two or three times, man, and it, it doesn't take that long. Um, you know, you, you can leave that area and say, well, shoot, man, I've, I've fished this hard, you know, and you, you can easily leave and go somewhere else. Um, you know, if you haven't done so, but you're never going to, you know, to me, if I pull into a spot, I'm not sure about very rarely do I fish the whole thing or give it a solid effort, you know, like I would troll and at least I've covered, you know, the, the whole basis going through it. All right. Uh, you, another question. And then I think we'll move on. And that would be, yeah. and you're talking about trolling with the big engine, not with the trolling mode. You can do both. It, it doesn't matter. They don't, they, they don't bother. It. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, you don't have to heave it out, you know, 700 miles behind you. Um, you know, I'll put one out, you know, say 25 yards and the other one out, you know, 30 yards or 35 yards. You know, they don't, if you have a trolling motor, yeah, you, you can definitely do that. Um, I, I do both, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother the fish, um, at, at all. Not that I've seen, you know, and if, if you are, you know, wondering if maybe you're not getting bites, you know, you're getting some short strikes or something, you know, you, you can let out a little bit more line, but, um, it doesn't matter. Not that I've seen and that, right. you know, and that's. And I was going to come back to this, you know, the trolling those mirror lures, you got kind of a, a pretty wide range of depth. You know, you can typically troll those, you know, really in two foot of water or more. Um, you know, if you get into something deeper than, you know, eight or 10 feet, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to slow your speed down a little bit, but um, you know, you hit that two foot mark, you know, you don't necessarily have to feel, you know, like you're, like you're done, you know, you, you can reel your line up a little bit to get it up a little bit higher in the water column. But um you know, anywhere from two foot to, you know, 10 foot or more, man, is, is, is fair game. All right. Where, well, as far as lures go, do we go to soft plastics or hard baits first? Yeah. Um, I want to go, you know, I'm going to get right into top water, man. I, I think, you know, <clears throat> everybody likes to see a top water blow up, you know, including myself. And, you know, again, the, the top water kind of falls into a little bit of, you know, sort of like trolling in a way to me, man, you can cover a lot of ground with it, you know, pretty quick, you know, typically top water baits, you know, make, you know, you can do some real long knockdown casts with it and cover a lot of ground. So, um, you know, that's, that's always my go-to, man. First thing in the morning, I'm going to put a top water plug on for sure. I mean, I don't even, I don't even mess with anything else. Um, especially when the trout are, trout are chewing good. Um, you know, I think the, the top water typically produces a, a better quality of fish in my opinion. Um, you know, I've caught trout on all sizes, um, but I, I do think I've had more consistent big trout on top water than anything. Um, so, you know, it's, again, it's just preference, but, um, you know, any, any kind of walking bait, um, you know, I think people put a lot of hype into, you know, what color it is and everything, you know, you, you buy a top water plug and the top of it's pink and, you know, it's got googly eyes on it and everything. Well, they don't see that. They see the bottom of it. Right. So, you know, I'm typically fishing something that's got a white, white belly. I don't care what the top, you know, the color of it is. Um, 
I've certainly thrown some that are orange and red, but uh, you know, I'm looking for white. Uh, even even if the water color colors poor, um, you know, that's kind of a go-to. But again, it, it's just preference. Um, but you know, don't don't get fooled by the you know pink double orange banana you know zara spoo. You know, they don't the fish don't see that. They just see the bottom of it. So. Um, but topwater to me, man, is, is a fantastic search bait, um, you know, and I, I'm really concentrating, you know, on those areas of, you know, rip, throwing at those points, you know, bringing it past the points, you know, and especially on those little ledges and troughs, you know, you don't always, you know, I'm not always throwing directly to the bank and bringing it back. You know, a lot of it, um, you know, any, and we'll get into this with the rest of the lures, man, is letting, you know, letting the current work for you, you know, let, let your bait, you know, swing out through the current, even topwater, man, and the, you know, just, just walking it down the line, you know, throw it to the bank and let it sweep all the way through and come out through that trough. And then what you do there, you've covered the whole bank line, you've covered that, you know, the deeper section of it. And then if it comes out straight, you know, you're starting to get on that ledge or maybe it picks back up, you know, you, you got all those little transition zones where you, you're not sure, you know, the, the fish aren't always feeding right up against the bank, you know, so a lot of times they'll be out there in that deep cut or right on the edge of that, you know, opposite sandbar. So, you know, that, that to me is a very, very key factor in throwing topwater or any lure, um, you know, is just letting it sweep through that current, you know, let, you know, don't, don't kill yourself making all these casts, man. I, I, I spend a lot of time letting, letting the tide work for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, that does make sense. And, uh, like everything about the topwater. So, um, I mean, I might come back with some topwater questions, but, you know, just with one eye mm -hmm. on the clock, I want to keep on moving through and at least cover everything a little bit. What's next, man? What do you want to talk about next? Yeah, um, man, soft plastics. There's a there's a gajillion of them. Um, you know, you, you can get very overwhelmed in, in any of it. Um, for me, um, you know, obviously everybody loves DOA. DOAs are great. Um, you know, any any color um, is fantastic. The voodoo shrimp are great as well. Um, they they sting a little bit. A little bit harder when a bluefish cuts them in half just because they're you know they're kind of kind of expensive um you know a lot of the z-man stuff the trout tricks man are, are fantastic um you know that's as far as soft plastics man that's a lot of my a lot of my game right there I, I throw a lot of a lot of shrimp imitation baits um and you know i think one thing that you know i've found that's really helped me out with any any of the soft plastics is you know, I think a lot of people get, you know, get tied into wanting to feel the bottom, you know, when they're throwing soft plastics. Um, you know, what I've started to do is, you know, you know, when you buy the boot, you know, if you buy DOAs or any of that, they don't have a very big weight in them. Um, you know, so I'm typically trying to keep something that's not, you know, I don't want to hit the bottom, not, not in, not in trout season. You know, those fish are going to be feeding in the, the middle of the water column or, you know, up on top. Um, so I'm looking for any kind of, you know, shrimp imitation or, you know, some of the paddle tails, things like that, man, they're, they're light, you know, I'm going to fish them on as light, a light of weight as I can to, you know, to get them down, um, you know, into that, into that water column, but I want them to be light enough, man, where they're, and I, you'll certainly be able to tell, you know, again, as you, as you fish these baits and you're, you're swinging through the current, you know, you, you want your, your bait to stay with the tide and move through that column, you know, as it, it just drifts and flutters through just letting the, again, you know, letting the tide, um, you know, do the work for you. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to, to fish that stuff, but, um, you know, letting a DOA just, just sweep through, um, you know, around the grass lines and the oysters, man, it's, it's incredibly hard to beat. Um, it is very, very productive. 
Um, and I'm trying to see how I can, I'm assuming that makes sense. So what I'm talking about, where, where I'm actually trying to get these things to, to go with the curve and you, ha- you don't have to very put hardly any action on it at all. Um, you know, I'm just holding my rod tip up and letting it flow and you, you just pop it every once in a while. Um, if that makes sense, Gary. Yeah, man, that makes sense. <clears throat> and so now that we're not talking about trolling, we're talking about working a soft plastic. Are you ever drifting in fish and soft plastics or are you always sort of anchored up and then targeting a zone again, letting it, letting the tide yeah. work that bait down the grass line? Um, a little bit of both, Gary, you know, if, if it's a slower day, you know, I'll typically get on my trolling motor and, you know, if it's an area I know has got fish in it, uh, you know, I'll get on my trolling motor and actually, you know, work through it. Now at that point, I'm not so much letting that, letting the tide do the work for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing it going with the tide, but, I would say 90% of it is, you know, I'll, I'll anchor up or spot lock, whatever. And, you know, fish an area for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, if I haven't got this fish, you know, going or anything, then I'll, then I may, you know, pop down to the next spot and try it for a few minutes. But, you know, again, you know, being able to use the tide to do the work for you, man, I'll, you know, as soon as it comes through, you can flip your bail, you know, and pop off a foot or two a line and, and keep letting it go. So I can typically cover a, a lot of ground in one spot. Um, but most of it, I would say is probably anchored really. Okay. And then I followed your conversation about, um, top waters and, you know, really focus on the bottom of the bait, not worried about color. Do you worry Mm -hmm. about color much with soft plastic? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Um, yes. And it is certainly a, a trial and error. Um, you know, I've got my handful of soft plastics that I like to use. Um, you know, like I just, you know, talked about. Um, and I've got a few more, you know, that I kind of keep for a rainy day just to see, but, um, definitely, you know, if I can't get them fired up on, on one thing, you know, say I went in the day before and, you know, I whacked them and I know these fish are there, you know, then I might start switching colors and I've certainly seen it. Um, you know, where you sit there for 30 minutes, you know, kind of waiting on the tide to get right or whatever, and you think you're going to get a bite and, you know, they never turn on and, you know, you change color, whether it be, you know, your, your lead jig head or, you know, just, just a shade and, you know, say you got pink and you put white on, you know, absolutely. That makes a difference. Now I don't, it's very easy to get caught in the moment of why well, I didn't get a bite. You know, I got to change colors right now, you know, and sometimes that works, you know, sometimes that certainly works to, to go through a bunch of colors, but um, you know, you got to have confidence in what you got, you know, you, you got to be throwing something in and, you know, if you don't have, and if that makes sense, you know, and I, I try to tell, you know, customers is if you, if you don't have confidence in what you're doing um, and the way you're working it, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to catch fish. Um, and especially trout, because they can be finicky. You know, if you're not working it right, you know, you're switching through a bunch of colors because you think the fish aren't biting, you know, that can certainly, you know, mess you up. But I, I like to give it a good solid effort with what I've got before I start changing colors for sure. All right. And, um. I was going to f- swing back around like, and we hear it a lot, like you, you will kind of want to throw the lightest you can throw. And I certainly understand you don't want to hit bottom. But again, I, I think of the novice angler trying to figure out what's the quote unquote lightest I can throw. I mean, what's the goal? You don't, you don't want that bait to go past midwater column. And as long as you're not hitting bottom, it's the right size jig head or when if you're not hitting bottom, do you still have to consider going to a lighter jig head? Yeah, Gary, a lot of it's, you know, just, it's hard to explain. A lot of it's just, you know, 
you know, spending the time out there to, to, to figure out what you need. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I shouldn't say hit the bottom. You know, I don't like to hit the bottom that time of year um, just because I feel like I end up, you know, getting the bait below where those, those fish are actually feeding. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of times, you know, again, where you can learn to use the current in your favor. Um, even if you've got a heavy, you know, a heavy weight on or, a, you know, maybe a hair too heavy, you know, if you keep your rod tip up high, and you're lying tight, you know, it, it it's going to keep your bait up. And if you're doing that and you're still hitting the bottom, then, or, you know, getting hung up or whatever, then that may be when I would, you know, downsize a little bit. But a, a lot of it, I let the tide, you know, dictate what it's doing. Um, you know, to me, again, you know, once you start getting into the, you know, the high, the high part of the tide or the low part of the tide, you know, your water is going to slow down, you know, quite dramatically. Um, so, you know, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to tell that, okay, you know, my, my weight's too heavy now, which is also, you know, a lot of times when the fishing is not that good anyways. Um, but I would more so change it based on, you know, maybe not getting bites. You know, if you're, you know, if you're letting your bait sink a little bit harder, um, you know, with it flowing through the tide, you know, you're not keeping your rod up or you're not twitching it every once in a while, you know, you start finding that you're getting, you know, getting bites closer to the bottom. And then, you know, then I would, I would switch on that. And I've certainly been able to do that. Um, you know, where I think the fish just aren't biting and you, you let it sink a little bit better. Um, you know, not so much relying on the tide and, you know, that's when you, that's when you produce fish, but you know, it, it's, you should be able to tell based on the, based on the bites you're getting. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, that makes sense. And then, um, again, for time constraints, I just want to make sure we've touched on anything, uh, not talking about top waters, but talking about other hard baits, subsurface baits, et cetera. Yep. Is that part of your gamut? Is there a time oh, yeah. you like to throw oh, yeah. those? Definitely. Definitely. I, I would say I throw more hard baits this time of year. Um, solely cause there's a you know, a lot more bait around, um, man, any kind of, any kind of jerk baits, um, you know, in a variety of different colors, um, you know, white's always tried and true. Um, there's quite a few different, um, you know, hard bait shrimp lures out there. It's, it's still a type of jerk bait. You know, I think a lot of that is you get that reaction bite, um, you know, because those, those fish are still feeding on, you know, glass minnows and finger mullets and stuff like that. So um, any kind of suspended jerk bait is, is fantastic. Um, you know, so same deal with the MR-17s, man. I mean, everybody knows the MR-17s are, you know, they've been around for years. A lot of people fish them. Um, you know, those are, those are great baits as well. And that's, you know, again, I, I don't fish those baits that much differently. Um, you know, I think the jerk baits and the hard baits fall very much into the top water. You can cover a lot of ground with them. You know, they've got enough weight and enough action where you can, you can fish those through the tide. You don't have, you know, you don't necessarily have to let the tide work them. They're going to be at the depth you want, you know, just based on them being, you know, a suspending bait and you're putting the action on it. So fantastic way to cover ground just to, to search and look for fish. Um, you know, if you don't, if you're not feeling the trolling or whatever. Um, but those two style baits are, you know, I would say pretty much the only kind of, kind of hard baits I use outside of top water. Um, you know, and again, with, with some of the mirror lures and stuff, I do, I will keep several different colors of those in. Um, but, you know, typically, you know, white has always held true for me, white or pink. Okay. So my question, maybe you alluded to this in the be very beginning of your talk about hard baits, but, when would, in your mind, a hard bait be a superior option than a soft bait? Is it, I think you said something about still lots of bait in the water. Is it like a bigger profile mm -hmm. and it's more visible? And so 
Is is that the answer to when hard bait, when soft bait? Um, yes and no, Gary. I mean, some of it, I would say a lot of it's got more so to do just, you know, the first part of, you know, trout season, you, you've got an astronomical amount of, of glass minnows in the water and still finger mullet in the water. And, you know, again, a lot of your residential trout, at least in this area, you know, they're still feeding on that. And, you know, if you're out early in the morning, you, you should see that response, um, you know, based on fish blowing up on top water. I don't care where it is, um, you know, redfish, whatever, they're all, they're all doing the same thing. Um, so I think that's why it's more closely imitated to, you know, what they're actually feeding on. You know, they're, they're certainly still shrimp around, but, um, and there, there will be to, to continue through that. Now it's not to say you can't fish, you know, shrimp because I'm doing both, but, um, you know, I think the easiest meal for those fish is, you know, some sort of, you know, minnow, whether it's finger mullet or minhane or glass minnows, you got all these pushes of bait coming out of these creeks, you know, getting into fall, moving out into the ocean, you know, and those, all those baits are coming through, you know, the transition areas, you know, your, your creek mouths, your inlets, all that stuff. So, I mean, that, that's what those fish are feeding on because it's coming right to them. Um, so I think that's, that's part of the reason why I think those baits produce so well um, this time of year. And there's, you know, they're as active as they're going to be. You know, you don't have to fish something slow and let it go through the current if you don't want to. You know, they'll they'll flat out chase a, you know, a jerk bait or a mirror lure down. I, I catch a lot of fish, you know, reeling my bait in to, to go recast. Um, you know, so that's why I like to throw them in. They're, they're just they're just active and, and really keyed in on bait that time of year, I feel like. Right on. Um, I think we're coming to the end of our time, so I'm going to finish with this question. You know, for... People have been watching this and, you know, have certainly, you know, been able to grasp a lot of knowledge. You've been very given of, of information and opinion and perspective. So the podcast is a good teaching tool, but not as good as getting on the boat with you. So if this podcast mm -hmm. is released in mid-October and someone's watching this and thinking, man, I'm learning a lot from a podcast, I would say you could learn even more by being on the boat with Captain Luke Moser. For Riceville Beach and Carolina Beach area, if the good trout fishing starts around mid-October, how long does the good trout fishing last? And then is there a spring window that you also like to do? And if so, what, what's the basic parameters of that spring window? Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, it, it, it does vary year to year, just like any, anything else. Um, but I would say you, you can solidly expect trout to be, to be biting active enough you know, and, and still in a, you know, a pretty easy, predictable pattern, you know, up until early December. Now, it's certainly a water temperature thing. I've seen it go, you know, much longer. Um, so really, you know, early, mid-December is a safe bet. Now, spring trout fishing, um, absolutely. Um, it's, you get a great, you know, it doesn't last as long um, by any means. But the spring trout fishery to me is, in a way, you know, I don't, I don't get the same fang fever, I guess, if you will, as I do in the fall, but your fish are typically, you know, bigger. You usually have big females that are full of roe, um, you know, so I would, I've caught, I've caught more fish over five pounds in the spring than I ever have in the fall. Um, you know, so that's, that's one thing to get excited about to me. And it's not any different, you know, still fishing a lot of the same areas. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of it's more, it is significantly better closer to the inlets. You know, you may not get you know, push a fall fish like way back behind Masonboro Island, like you would, um, you know, historically in the fall. So it's a, it's a hair different, but it's very, very similar.
and all, all, right. all the baits fish and everything exactly the same. Right on. Captain Luke Moser, Coastline Charters out of the Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach area. As always, enjoy talking with you, talking fish, talking whatever. And uh, I really do appreciate you being so given of information, man. Some people are protective about trout information, and you just were very open, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. Billy? All right. What's up, Gary? You heard it here first. All the good stuff. All the good trout, all the good fall trout fishing. I told you guys it was going to be good. That's it. This is the last episode of Fisherman's Post. Thanks, everybody, for watching and supporting us for all these years. We're out. We're out. It's a wrap. Luke will, be, Luke will be your host next week. And as a guest, he's interviewing himself again. Yeah, for like the next 12 episodes. <laughs> we set him side by side and do some green screen stuff. I'll still be the producer, but I won't be on the show. <laughs> Some people are going to be in the chat like, hell yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. Such a – dude, a lot of a lot of good information. My takeaway is to rewind and replay. Um, but one thing I did that I didn't take note of is the trolling for trout. I thought that was a pretty cool strategy to cover a lot of ground and find fish that way. So um, <clears throat> he mentioned it a couple times, and I always pay attention to, to a couple-time mentions. Yeah, man, I don't think I've seen too much of it here in the Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach area. I've certainly seen it in other more, you know, known to be trout areas, you know, the guys trolling for it. It is effective. I've seen it more like Cape Fear River trolling for stripers. And then, you know, I'm sure like if we had talked more about trolling, what Luke would have said is you troll to find them and then you get off the troll and now you're casting for them. And same thing for the striper in the wintertime, troll to find them and then you start casting to them. But yeah. I, yeah, I like that. That I like that. That's part of his gamut. I didn't. I didn't know that, and I. I like that it is, and it actually made me think. Like, all right, man, I can do that. Like, I can. I'm right. now. I've got another window to try. Just don't go over two miles an hour. I wrote no. that down. Follow everything he said. I listen. Well, if you want to buy my notes, Gary, they're going to be for sale. All right. Because <laughs> I because I won't I won't have any sponsors sponsoring me anymore uh, after Luke takes over the show, so I have to sell <laughs> Billy's best takeaway notes to make a living around here. So anyway, man, great episode. Always always enjoy Luke Moser. He is uh, a top notch guy and guide, so we always appreciate having him on the show and a part of uh, our fishing reports and, and podcasts and everything else. So stand up guy, book a freaking trip with this guy, and uh, learn all his fishing trips or tips and tricks, then go to Marine Warehouse, buy your own boat, and then keep it clean with srd20.com. There you go. Ooh, nice. You like that? You're killing it. Killing that sponsor game. All right, Gary. Well, high five long distance, man. We'll see you in the next one.